Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hello, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I have a very special guest today. It's my sister, Carrie Consalvi. Say hi, Carrie. Hello. And Carrie, this is her first time on the podcast, uh, but we are the people who have known each other the longest of anybody in our lives because we are sisters and we grew up together. We have the same mom and dad. We have the same family history, but as you probably know, if you're a sibling, no two kids grow up in the same family because I was a oldest child and she was the youngest child. It was just the two of us girls. And so uh, we had different experiences of the family that we grew up in and it produced some differences in how we operate as adults. Would you say that's true, Care? I would say that's very true, yes. Yeah. So what's really funny is that uh, Carrie and I are both Enneagram 3 wing 2, <laughs> if you're into the Enneagram, which we are. <laughs> but the way that it plays out for both of us is very, very different. So Carrie, how would you describe your personality? <laughs> Uh, I would say I am, I'm very ambitious. I would qualify as a perfectionist. I like to do things very well, but I'm also very concerned with people. I love people and I like making sure that people are comfortable. However, I'm also very isolated. I think it's interesting that you just said that you really care about people because of the two of us, you are the one that gets like tired out by people where I need more people all the time pretty much. And mm -hmm. so you, maybe this is like an introvert extrovert kind of difference where you need the recharge time, uh, to be alone in your library with your books. <laughs> and I need the time to be around people or I start feeling restless. Yeah. So that that's a big difference in the way that our personalities play out, but we both have like the high drive and ambition and, um, I think you probably work harder than I do at a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Why would you say that? I, I, th I see you as more disciplined than I am and definitely more perfectionistic. Like if we switched over to Myers-Briggs, like you're definitely more of a J and I'm more of a P, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, I don't know Myers-Briggs that well. So. Okay. <laughs> well, J, J stands for judging, which sounds terrible. I wish they would change that name, but it just means like the one that is more like, uh, structured, like to have things in line. There's like more of a right and a wrong, um, like more, more on time for things. Whereas the P is a little bit more loosey goosey P stands for perceiving time is a little bit more relative. Things are a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. I would definitely say that I need things structured and scheduled. Um, and I think what's at play there is really the anxiety piece. I, I think I get anxiety if I don't do things well. Um, and I love people, but when I'm interacting with people, I feel a lot of pressure there. And so that gives me more anxiety to do things well. Um, I don't think you have that. I think you're more of a, I love people and I get charged from people kind of person, but I don't necessarily have that. I just assume people are going to like me, <laughs> <laughs> which is the opposite. I just assume I won't be liked. So yeah, like a good example. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before on the podcast, but we both had our, our first children in the same year mm -hmm. um, in 2010, we both gave birth to baby girls. And when you moved from Hawaii back to California, you had your daughter on a rigid sleep schedule. 
<laughs> right? Like you knew when she was going to eat. He needed to have her nap so I could have a nap. <laughs> she, you knew when she was going to be sleeping. Whereas I had my daughter on more of a go with the flow. If I want to hang out with friends or go shopping or go on a walk or whatever I'm going to be doing for that day, I needed her to adapt to my schedule, whatever that was going to be. But then when you moved from Hawaii to California, when the girls were like, um, mine was newly two and yours was 18 months ish. You had yours on a tight schedule and I had to uh, like conform to your schedule mm-hmm. in order to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But those rhythms were as much about my daughter as they were about me. And it's still true to this day. I'm still very rhythmic. I still get up and have an hour of coffee and reading in the morning. And I still like our nighttime routines are very much the same every night. And if I have to go out and do something, then I know I'm going to be drained. So I have to have that introvert time back at home. You, on the other hand, we'll talk about you and you'll go out all day go do some church function, go do some event, have D group at night, have to clean the house. And then you'll get home from shopping and decide to make cookies. It's like, you're constantly going, going, going. And that seems to energize you. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that would kill me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so same personality type with Enneagram, but they manifest very differently, but we're both very ambitious. I would say um, to do things well. And I think it's that drive toward excellence that really, um, we're both in pursuit of, we just do it differently. Mm -hmm. The other difference, like you, to mention the mental health piece, uh, my listeners know that I struggle with depression and I've been uh, like, since I was a teenager, I've been on meds and I've had to go through bouts of that. Uh, whereas, you ran what I, I like to call a little bit more high strung. Mm -hmm. So I'm more likely to sink into the depths where you're more likely to take on the anxiety and, and run like on this higher plane where I feel like I'm on this lower plane. Like if we talk about frequencies, like your, my frequency is very low and yours is very high. And so even though there's some things that are very similar to us, because we have this proclivity and then maybe it's like uh, that biological predisposition to having our serotonin not work quite right. Mm-hmm. Like you are more likely to have anxiety while I'm more likely to have depression. Right. I would say that's true. And what's really interesting is before you even got started, uh, really studying what you do now, you went through this one class. I think it was your first class learning about different diagnoses. And I can remember you sitting on the couch and you had this book open to obsessive compulsive disorder. And you looked at me and you're like, Carrie, come read this. I think this is you. And I was like, just be quiet. And I'm tired of this <laughs> because you had already pegged me with obsessive compulsive disorder at that time. And that's really what was happening, but I didn't know that for a really long time. And now, uh, I don't know, 20 years later, I'm really going through that process of learning what that actually means because it, it can manifest differently in people. And so at the time I was like, well, I'm not really, I don't have to wash my hands all the time. Although sometimes I do, but like things like that weren't, uh, I didn't understand how that functioned, but even at that time, you and I were already manifesting those things um, very young. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I was, you know, in single digits, five, six, seven years old when that started being a real issue for me. Mm-hmm. So you kind of knew this anxiety was there and I knew your depression was there and we didn't really know how that functioned in our life until I think we were this age, really. Late teens um, yeah. when we started <laughs> getting diagnoses. <laughs> I can remember, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but that you're a research librarian now as your job. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do? Like the 32nd version of what you do in your job? Cause I don't think librarian is what people think it is, right? It's not. No, I think people think of stamping books and putting it back on the shelves. And that's actually not what a librarian, well, it's part of it, but it's not what a librarian does. We are um, people who collect information and then categorize it or organize it so people can find answers 
to their information needs. And that can take any kind of form. Um, but these days, it typically just means somebody will come in with a question and then we'll help them find the answer to it, even if that means um, like a digital answer or even Google sometimes isn't the best option, but we'll help you find whatever you need. So that's the short version of librarian. <laughs> And giving me looks right now. I wish you could see, she's like, wrap it up. No, not that is like, <laughs> I want to jump in because like, it's, it's more than that. It's like, the, here's something that I didn't know when I was a college student and you work at our local community college. But when I was a college student, I didn't know that you could go ask a research librarian to help you write your paper. But mm -hmm. basically you could walk up to a person like Carrie and say, I have to write a paper about this topic and I don't know where to get started. And this person could say, here's a good research question. Here's some good sources. Now go and, <laughs> and take a lot of the leg work out of that. And so, uh, that, that's what I think is cool. And, and you've done a lot of work on helping people access, uh, resources that they don't have to pay for right? The open educational resources. So um, that's a really cool thing, especially working in a community college setting where people are, are typically going to community college for financial reasons versus a four-year college where they're going to pay so much more money. Um, so I just wanted to mention that briefly because I can remember when we were uh, from the time that I was in fifth grade, so you would have been in third grade till high school, we lived in Mammoth and we had this hallway when you came into our house and you had a bedroom on one side of the hallway and I had a bedroom on the other side of the hallway. And I can remember you setting up a table in the middle of the hallway to run a library for people <laughs> in our family or any friends that might come over that might need to check out a book. <laughs> about that but yes yeah. and I also the what was one, the one book and that you were allowed to check out the one book that I remember that nobody else was allowed to touch I think it was like a Charlie Brown comic or something like that but you had put a new cover over it and wrote a new title for the book do you remember what I'm talking about yes I do it's called the book of every rule so <laughs> if we didn't know that you had OCD at that part, at that point in time, we should have figured that out. But I had to use that book because my sister happened to be one of the more bossy sisters, <laughs> in my opinion. And so if you would tell me something to do, that would give me anxiety. And so I had to go find the book of every rule to tell you why you weren't allowed to boss me around. <laughs> That's true. I, I have a dominant personality and now we see that showing up in your daughter. <laughs> I know. So Carrie's more like my daughter and I'm more like her daughter in some yeah, ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I remember when we were really little, probably like three and five years old, our mom bought us one of those, um, I think it was on cassette or it could have even been record, but I think it was cassette and it had a little book like where you turn the page when it chimes and Carrie got the book that was called, let's talk about whining. <laughs> and I got the book that was called, let's talk about teasing. So you, <laughs> that gives you a clue of how we interacted as sisters. <laughs> Yeah. So that's a, that was a little bit about our childhood, but I actually asked Carrie to come on the podcast one, because my podcast launch team said, Hey, we want some more personal stuff and who better to give personal information than yeah. your sister. Um, and, but also Carrie has faithfully listened to every single episode that I have put out. Thank you, Carrie. Um, and my niece and nephew will say, I've heard your podcast because we listen to it sometimes on the way to school. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is the and listening hour. <laughs> yeah. So it must take you a lot of trips back and forth to get it done. <laughs> I wanted today for our listeners, because today is actually the anniversary of having the podcast out the first year has now completed. We started June 1st of 2021. So now we're um, almost to June in 2022. So, and there have been, I think 54, I think this is episode 54 coming out. So over the course of 
time, um, there have been some episodes that have kind of risen to the top of the numbers of downloads. So I wanted to share that with my faithful listeners so you could know. What was really interesting, I think the number one episode that was ever downloaded is the one that's called How to Find a Christian Therapist. And this was right at the beginning. So do you remember anything? Yeah, I liked that one because it was so concise and clear. And I feel like we need directions like that. I think you've talked about this before too. It's like, you can go to school and learn all this stuff, but they don't tell you like necessarily the practical elements of like starting a business or like things that you're going to have to get into. So if we were learning, counseling is so great, go to counseling, but then we have no idea how to get to those particular resources, then, you know, we're still going to be stuck. Well, it's right up your alley, like helping people find information (laughs) that they need. (laughs) Maybe that's why I liked it so much. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, yeah, it appeals to you. And uh, I thought it was really important because that's one of the most frequent questions that I get asked. Like people, when they find out I'm a therapist first, they say, can you be my therapist? And then (laughs) I I tell them no, because I'm your friend and that would be a dual relationship. (laughs) But Uh, then they asked me, well, who do you know that's like you? Or who do you know that would be a good fit for me that honors my Christian values and that I can afford and has availability and all those things. So that was the reason that I wanted to release that. So when you get that question, I can say, you know, I don't really know somebody that's a perfect fit for you, but here's how you can find someone. (laughs) Yeah. So you're being a librarian too. There we go. (laughs) So that that's number one. And that gave me the idea that I probably need to do more how to episodes. So that was maybe even the only one, how to find a Christian therapist. So here's where I need the listeners to weigh in that I need to know what other things you want to know about, because I'm just going based off the questions that I get a lot, but you might have questions that uh, I've never thought of. So I'd really love for you guys to either DM me on Instagram or send an email to info at soulgreatresources.com and tell me what episode you want with a how-to. And I'll be happy to start digging into that and, and get the information there. The next most downloaded episode was the one where we talked about uh, why Christians don't go to church, Mm. not church, sorry, therapy. Christians don't go to therapy. (laughs) Try that one again. (laughs) Um, So what, what memory do you have of that one, Karen? That was like one of the very first ones, right? Yeah. And, and part of, part of knowing this is, um, these are, these have been around the longest, so they've had more opportunity to get more downloads. So that, that weighs into it as well. Um, over time we'll see, but, um, for me, it was kind of like a provocative title, why Christians aren't going to therapy. And if you're listening to this whole podcast, you're probably in the camp that says, well, of course we need to go to therapy or of course we need to be interested in mental health things, but you probably know someone in your church that doesn't think that therapy is for them or doesn't think that therapy is for Christians in general. And so that was one of the main uh, like missional statements that I wanted to make in doing the soul grip podcast is that therapy is for Christians as well. You know, what's interesting about that episode is I think at that time I had just started going to counseling for like six weeks, maybe by that time. And you had mentioned something about the difficulty of your family, not going to counseling, but really supporting counseling. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting because I had gone there and, or gone to counseling by that point. And the reason why I hadn't said anything yet by that point was because of the difficulty of expressing that to another person, even though I'm very close with you, there was something that felt vulnerable about saying, now I'm going to counseling. And especially because I was going with my husband, it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is marital counseling and this is good, but I don't want my sister or my parents to worry about me as I'm going to counseling. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that, I think that element was, 
was really interesting for me to hear about how difficult that was for you, that your family supports you so much with counseling, but then you thought I still wasn't going and it wasn't that, it was just that that hidden element of vulnerability. And I don't know, maybe you could speak to that a little bit, um, but do you find like your clients have a hard time expressing that to their families, especially in the Christian world that they, you know? Yeah, it, it's that's going to depend on whether they've, heard their family members make comments about therapy or if they have like, let's say they have a mom that's runs a little bit anxious as well and, <laughs> or gets into their business too much. Not our mom. No, no, I'm not talking about our mom, <laughs> but, um, but if they have somebody in their family, that's going to take it like what you said, I don't want you to worry about me. And I think I shared in that episode that, um, sometimes when I would tell people in the beginning of our marriage that we we're going to counseling, people would be worried that that meant we were in danger of not right. being married anymore, which was not the case. It's, and I think I probably shared this like the, the tune up, like your car needs a tune up. So, so does your relationship. So does your own mental health. And if you continue to ignore that check engine light, then you're going to end up stranded on the side of the road mm-hmm. <laughs> or divorced. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so I did, I did appreciate when you told me that you were going to counseling, but also, uh, knowing that part of my job is to, to hold people's confidence really closely, mm-hmm. like that I, I can hear things from people and not make assumptions about their character or have to blab. Like it's part of my professional skill. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, I get what you're saying. I do have, so I have a client that has been, she, I mean, I know she's going to listen to this too, but <laughs> she's been in therapy for a long time. And, um, I gave her, uh, an award yesterday or the day before, and she wore the award all, all around town. Uh-huh. And this for me, like, I don't, I don't care what she wears or doesn't wear, but for me, it it showed growth in her, uh, her thinking about therapy and about her own, um, place in the world and her mental health and all of that, that she, before she couldn't tell anybody that she had a therapist, she didn't tell her mom or her best friend or anything. And now she, she walked into her work wearing this thing and said, my therapist gave it to me. (laughs) Well, I think that's some of the hurdle that you have to jump over too. It's like, there's something innately in us that wants to keep that private. And especially if we're freshly going to counseling, we probably have a lot of things going on in our brain that we don't really know how to reconcile. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of it for me is trying to adapt to all of the thoughts and things that I was uh, trying to work through with this counselor without having to also adapt socially to the idea of myself going to counseling. It's like, there was two different elements to that. So my capacity wasn't big enough to be able to discuss it with my family who would want to know how it was going. Cause we're very open and communicative, but not being ready yet to talk about what I was learning or how I was feeling about it because the feels were kind of heavy at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that was part of the hesitation, but now that I'm beyond that hurdle and have gone through several different sessions <laughs> since then, I actually feel more like your, your client there with needing to be more expressive about the benefit to the counseling and that it's okay. I think a lot of us are going through a, a, a lot of different emotions and feelings, especially coming back from the pandemic now. And the more I talk about it, the more people are like, oh yeah, me too. I'm in counseling too and need other people to gather around them in the fellowship of working through our problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I would say I really appreciate from a lot of like uh, strong Christian leaders in, in the media, whether they're people who are writing books or hosting podcasts or preaching sermons that people that are talking about their therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a big impact when you have a platform like that, to be able to talk about your therapy makes it okay for everybody else. Mm -hmm. 
But then I think that even when you don't have a platform, just by talking to our kids about the fact that we go to therapy or talking to uh, our friends or people at church that, that, or work that that's a part of our normal self-care, just like we go to checkups with the doctor. We also like, we get our teeth cleaned every six months and we also sometimes go to therapy when we need it. Yeah. Do you think there's been this big shift since being isolated that now we're a lot more open, even as a church? I know those first episodes of this podcast were very much directed at, there's kind of this discrepancy with how church feels about um, counseling, but now I don't see that as much. And I, I know that used to be an issue even in the churches that you and I went to, but it doesn't, it, it seems like it's more accepted now. I think there's still a range. I think that there are certainly churches that are more accepting of it, especially as we see even like pastors um, completing suicide and things like that. Like, like obviously we need to address that. Uh, but I don't think all of our churches are, have, have made that shift. Mm -hmm. So I think there's still, many, many people who are under pastoral leadership that is discouraging them from accessing the care that they need. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh, church hurt. So a couple of the church hurt episodes, uh, landed in the top five of downloaded episodes. Church hurt series was going on during October and November of 2021. And I started it out with just talking about the own pain, my own pain that I had experienced the previous year. And then I ended up what was going to be only maybe three, four episodes ended up being more than that, because there were so many stories that needed to be told. And uh, what were your thoughts about that series? Oh, I mean, uh, <laughs> I love that series because of just being able to talk about it and listen, uh, in on, other experiences with it. Um, you and I shared a lot of church wounds from our childhood. I don't think we went to a church that didn't break up for some reason, some moral failure from our pastors from the time we were very little until college. And even in college, like that happened again, even when we went in our separate ways. Mm -hmm. So I think our, our background kind of set us up well for church <laughs> in the sense that we were very well prepared with an individual faith in Jesus to kind of get us through those, um, emotional moments. But, um, one of them that was on the top download was called the pain of leaving your church. And, the other one was refresh me on that one. Why, why church hurts so much, right? Like it was more painful because of the emotion, because you feel like church should have a higher standard. Like we should be kinder to each other. We should be, have more integrity than the rest of the world. And yet, and also because you spend your life with these people. Yeah. And then they disappoint you or break your heart. Yeah. So one of those episodes about why it hurts so much with the church uh, or with leaving church, that one impacted me differently because um, I've been processing a lot about the gospel message and why we have such high expectations for church when we know it's made up of a body of sinners. And I think a lot of times our, our culture says, you know, look at those hypocrites in there. They're saying, don't do this, don't do that. They have all these rules and then they, they keep breaking them. And in my mind, I'm like, well, isn't that the gospel? Aren't we a bunch of sinners trying to come to Jesus and recognizing that we have indwelling sin. And so I think a lot of times our church wounds come out of that element of, you know, why are these people hurting me? Aren't they supposed to know Jesus? Mm -hmm. uh, aren't they supposed to have 
you know, the Holy Spirit telling them how to act, but how come they're acting like this? I just think we miss the gospel message a lot when we're looking at the church and we need to see it as a group of sinners needing the gospel every day um, as much as anyone else in the world. And, and, you know, we are the ones that should be recognizing the sin of our brothers and sisters and the propensity toward that. It's almost like the justification, sanctification difference where we kind of get stuck on, well, you have the gospel, so why don't you act better? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When we, what we need to realize is like, yes, in the eyes of God, you are made right in Christ right now, mm-hmm. but it's going to take the whole rest of your life to get sanctified or to, to get to do it right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think our expectations set us up for that failure. And, you know, early in our marriage, we had some church wounds too. And I think, and I just recently processed some of my church wounds, probably because of your podcast, I was thinking through it, but um, I think there was some kind of influence on me that I didn't recognize because some of my personality is to want to please people. So if the church is saying, okay, you need to come Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday and Sunday night, and you need to serve in children's ministry and you need to do women's ministry. And there's like all these programs. And then the church is, um, putting that on me, which was happening at that time. And I was working a lot, freshly married, new to a state had just moved, just graduated. Like I had all these things. And so my pastor was telling me that I wasn't involved enough and that I was, um, denying my faith or like not, uh, working with the ministry appropriately. And so I think his influence hit me a lot harder than, um, it would have had it come from somebody else, like anybody else who had said that to me besides my pastor, I would have been like, well, who are you to say like, I'm fine. (laughs) And would have been strong enough to just kind of be like, it's, you know, that's your opinion. That's fine. But because this person, I, I had this expectation of kind of almost like a fatherly influence Mm -hmm. uh, and wanted to be approved by my leader or shepherd. Mm -hmm. And then he was telling me even something that I knew was wrong, but it wasn't actually wrong. There was this dichotomy in me that felt oppressed and wounded by it because I couldn't please this man, even though he was taking a wrongful influence over me. Right. And because he was a mentor to your husband and you wanted to please your new husband as well. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of dynamics there. And I think that's part of what you were talking about in that podcast is, is just, it hurts more because we have a different kind of relational, um, dynamic to it. We, we allow more influence there because we think there should be more influence there. It's treated like a family. They are brothers and sisters. We do love them. We want to be part of this. And, and then we end up getting hurt because we don't expect them to fail us in the same ways that, that we fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Church Hurt series was probably one of the most impactful. I also really liked the series on meds. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think probably one of my favorite interviews I ever did was with Drew Frozy, the pastor that um, came out and you know let his congregation know, like, I need meds for anxiety, and I'm a much better father and husband and pastor when I have these in my system. Mm-hmm. And that was really impactful to me. Yeah. I shared a little bit about my own medication experience as well. Do you feel like you ever really struggled with going on meds? I didn't, but I was on meds when I was 18. And I think because I was still living with mom and dad and it wasn't ever a thing for them, Mm -hmm. at least not that they revealed to me. And Mm so I I had a very early experience of just being okay with it and also seeing the difference that it made. Yeah. But it frustrates me when people uh, automatically reject that meds could help them. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? That I get frustrated? No, that they reject it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I, well, some people think that God wouldn't want them to have like a chemical in their body because God wants to heal them supernaturally. Whereas I have this um, belief that more like God is using that kind of science to help you heal. And it's not just because it's in the natural world doesn't make it less supernatural that you're healing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What's interesting is I hesitated to go on meds and not because I didn't believe in it or not that I didn't see the benefit with you. I had all that experience, but I hesitated to go on it. And I don't really know why it's almost like maybe I had to acknowledge that I needed more support than I was actually, um, capable of giving myself. And it wasn't really like, okay, God's going to heal this or, or anything. It was just like, if I took the meds, then I had to acknowledge that something was going on and it was a deeper issue than I thought. And so it's almost like denial that I would need something as, as drastic as medication. And I think that's I think that's a myth. Like that's something that we believe that if you take these meds, you're, you're not doing well and you really need to, to get things in line and your brain's broken and and stuff like that. And now that I've been on medication, I feel like it's a different element to me because it doesn't, it doesn't change my personality. It doesn't change my feels. I still have a lot of feels. Um, but it's giving, it's empowering me to be able to think more clearly so that I can work on the tools that will inevitably help me once the medications are no longer necessary. And I think you've said this before in a recent podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Um, just that, that element of being empowered to think, um, but it doesn't really change you. And maybe, I don't know if that helps anyone, but that was, my hesitation is having to acknowledge that I was more broken than I was. And it, and it's not really that it's just a tool in your hand. Yeah. That, that aspect of it reminds me of somebody who maybe has high blood pressure or has diabetes and, and they feel like there's some kind of, uh, maybe there's like a moral component to it. Like I ate the wrong things. I didn't exercise. I lived too high of a stressful life, things like that. And now if I go on the blood pressure medication, I'm admitting to my failure of keeping my body healthy or something like that, where it's like, well, would you be more able to get out there and exercise or to make different choices? If you had this, uh, thing like keeping you safe for a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one I was going to bring up that was a pretty popular episode was the Encanto one. Um, (laughs) I called it, let's talk about Bruno and strange fact about Carrie and her husband. They don't actually have a TV or watch any shows. Um, (laughs) so they're weird like that, but, um, (laughs) let's call it a long-term fast, but, (laughs) um, but their kids do get to watch shows at their grandma's house. And, um, she has an 11 year old girl and a nine year old boy. And so there's no way that she doesn't actually know the words to, um, we don't talk about Bruno at this point, (laughs) right? That is true. (laughs) The reason I just wanted to bring up that episode is because it was lighter in, in the content. And it was just kind of fun. And a lot of people just told me that they enjoyed the episode. So as somebody who doesn't watch movies, did you enjoy that episode here? I did. I, I liked the dynamic of it. And I appreciated uh, you going into the different diagnoses for the family members. That part was <laughs> was really interesting because, you know, of course, I'm comparing it to our family and, and that, but um, yeah, I thought that was cute. It was a lot lighter than, than the other stuff that we've talked about here. <laughs> <laughs> so which character are you here? Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't know it well enough for that. Which character do you think I am? <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't decided. I just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> um, okay. So that kind of wraps up our recap 
uh, highlights of the podcast over the last uh, year the, of our most downloaded. Were there any other episodes that were uh, especially impactful for you, Care? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've listened to, I think all of them are kind of impactful to me, but uh, that's probably my personality. I really liked the one about the differences between coaching and counseling. Mm. Uh, that one I didn't, I didn't know as, as much. Um, I mean, I, I, I knew some of the differences, but that one really helped clarify. And actually I ended up going to a coach, uh, not too long ago. And what's interesting is she's, she's trying to coach me in my writing and it has been like very therapeutic. So we have like this analogy of the writing, but she's really kind of digging into these underground confidence and security and all these other things that are playing into my writing. But then that's kind of giving me the sweeping overall, like I, I need to apply this to my whole life, not just this, this act of creativity that I want to do. So that has been really helpful. And having seen both the counseling side, being with a, with a um, marriage and family therapist, and then also with the coach, I can see this real dynamic between what they're doing and with the with the MFT, it was very specific to like diagnosing my mind and working through the problems with, um, different techniques and with the coach, it's still diagnosing my mind, but it's like active strategies and activities to do, to work through it, mm -hmm. um, which you can get in, in both, but they, they have both been really uh, good and pivotal experiences for me. And uh, yeah, I really liked that one. Good. Drove me toward coaching. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that you kind of stumbled into that coaching relationship where you thought you needed one thing, but then God was like, actually, here's what you need. And I'm going to yeah. be the person to do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> he tricked me. <laughs> So that one was good. And then I really liked the, the recent episode about um, OCD mm -hmm. um, with your friend. And that one, I, I really appreciated what he was saying about not really knowing the depth. We have this understanding of what OCD is on the surface, but he was compulsive about his education, his academic experience, and the compulsions were coming out differently. And I really appreciated that because that has been my experience as well. It's not, it's not the same as we just flippantly talk about with OCD. I was, and still have a lot of compulsion obsessions and, and compulsions that are manifesting themselves in similar ways that he was talking about. So what I, I really like about that is the personal aspect of the podcast, like how you have all these people coming on and sharing their vulnerability with that, that has been really helpful, but then how true that must be for us in thinking about all these problems and dynamics that we have really probably relate to things that, uh, you know, psychologists and counselors have discovered and can work through with you that you don't even really know is going on in you. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't realize you needed a counselor. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You just think it's a normal quirk. But then actually a counselor can help you through and probably mitigate some of the anxieties and things that you carry all the time, just from not knowing. I didn't, I didn't really didn't have any idea about all these compulsions that I have. Yeah. I mean, I knew they were there, but again, just thought they were quirks, but in talking with a counselor and, and now this coach, it's like, oh my goodness, this is really affecting the way that I live my life. And even though Anne has told me since I was 12, <laughs> I needed to hear it again, differently yeah. uh, with these wise counselors, I guess. Yeah. So those were good. <laughs> good. I'm glad, I'm glad that they were impactful to you. So I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't prepare you for. Okay. Uh, we're going to be going, so this is wrapping up year one. We're going to be going into year two. What would you like to see more of on the Soul Grip podcast? One thing that you talked about, and I think the first episode, maybe the second, was that you were going to go into more diagnoses, like common diagnoses. And I think you may have had one episode that was really quick, or maybe you just told me them, <laughs> but, uh, I would be really interested in, um, things that people around us, like our neighbors or whoever, what they deal with day to day, the di the diagnoses that you see just for that sake of having 
more clarity about the problems that we all face together, but don't realize we're facing. Yeah. Good. That's a good reminder. I'm going to do that in a series. So we'll probably hit like major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety, social anxiety, OCD, bipolar one and two. Those are going to be like the biggies. Um, and then the, the more complicated diagnoses, like what we used to refer to as access to diagnoses, which are like personality disorders. Um, those are really challenging, but we probably still need to talk about like narcissistic personality and borderline personality and dependent personality. So, I mean, that, I feel like you could pretty much take a whole year of podcasts to go over those things, but that's a good reminder. Yeah, I, I think those would be really helpful. And the other thing I was thinking was <laughs> for my husband, because he's <laughs> been having to, you. what? You want me to fix him? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, the, he's been having to walk with me through figuring out this obsessive compulsive and, and like the anxiety that I've been feeling and the side of caregiving Mm-hmm. For someone who is dealing with um, some of these diagnoses that you just listed, I think that would be really helpful too. Um, yeah, hit, hitting those, like how to care for yourself, but also how to care for your person and not lose your mind in doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was another thing on my radar is that uh, there could probably be a few episodes talking about like caring for somebody with an anxiety disorder, uh, yeah, bipolar or depression mm-hmm. or, or something, a personality disorder, like that's a whole other ball game, but, um, whether you're the person that's caring for them or just a person kind of observing and needing to understand what they're going through, I think those are some valuable things. Yeah. And how they interact sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're married and you both have tendencies, <laughs> mm-hmm. how do you maintain your marriage with compulsions or whatever? Yeah. So if I can just give a little preview about what I have um, in my vision for year two, um, the things that you mentioned, so going over the diagnoses and going over the um, supporting and caretaking pieces of that, those would be probably two different series. I also want to do something specifically related to kids and teens and helping us understand how they show up in, because some of the diagnoses show up differently in kids and our support of them is going to be different. Um, Also relationships, whether that's dating or marriage, I think that would be a fun series to do. And uh, one of the first things I'm going to tackle though, I think is a series on trauma and I want uh, people to be trauma informed and I want them to understand what that means. And then also what are the treatments available? So we'll talk about EMDR. I already have a um, back in my arsenal, I have another episode recorded about brain spotting, which is for the treatment of trauma. So that will be uh, one of the things coming up as well. I don't sit down and plan out a whole year of episodes at this point. Sometimes uh, conversations pop up that are just going to be, they're interesting to me. So I'm hoping they're going to be interesting to everybody that's going to listen and try to provide a, a wide variety of things that relate to mental health and relationships and Jesus. So I wanted to just announce here on our anniversary episode that we will be taking a few weeks off. And so now it's the time to really make sure that you are following on social media, as well as being subscribed on whatever your uh, platform is, your podcast player, because it when I'm taking a break, I don't want to lose you guys. I don't want you to stop listening. I want you to come back. So make sure you're watching on social media for when it's coming back. And also for, um, when it's going to start popping back into your podcast player. That's why I want you to be subscribed. Um, as always, if you listen to podcasts, you know, it really helps when you rate and review helps other people find it. And also a lot of people find it just because you share it and you talk about it. So I really appreciate that as the, the purpose here is really not just growing numbers. It's, it's bringing hope to different people that 
might use this platform to understand about their mental health or their relationship with Jesus. So thank you for being the supportive audience that you are. And I hope this has been a fun year for you as it has been for me. Stay tuned to see what other new things that I have planned for getting the word out there. I'm thinking maybe we might do a YouTube channel. We might do some merch. So stay tuned. I can't wait to share all those things with you and I'll see you back in a few weeks. So Carrie, you know that I ask every guest the same question. What are you doing for soul care? Well, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast that my husband and I don't watch anything. We don't have any, we don't have any media. We don't have any social media. We're complete. We don't even have a TV. <laughs> um, and that was a choice that we made about three years ago. And that has been the biggest factor on our soul care. And it's, it's really because we have more space to think um, and do creative things. And so getting rid of those things has given me more opportunity to learn piano, which you and I play duets sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I have read more books <laughs> in the last year than I probably have read in my adult life mm -hmm. um, because of that space to be able to think and rest and process through things. So mm -hmm. reading, I mean, this is so cliche, right? For a librarian to come on here and say, you should read more books, but you should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that has been really helpful. Um, yeah, to do that part. So secret superpower. If you need a book recommendation, this is a <laughs> person that will find it for you. <laughs> uh, it's true. <laughs> that, that service will be coming out someday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything else? You walk for like six miles at a time. I do. That's very refreshing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you come with me. I don't usually do six miles though. <laughs> I'll catch the last half of your walk. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to clear the anxiety. If I feel anxiety, I go. It's not really an exercise thing anymore. It used to be about like, you know, trying to keep my body in shape or blah, blah, blah. But now it's really keeping my mind in shape. Mm -hmm. uh, if I feel anxious, then my husband will say, oh, have you walked today? <laughs> <laughs> And then that's my cue of like, okay, I'm spinning out a bit. I need to go out and, and breathe the air and move my body and pray, mm -hmm. think about something else, get out of my head. And that's, yeah. that's why the six miles, it takes that long for my brain <laughs> get out of your head. Yeah. To, to get out of my head. Yeah. See, I can get out of my head in 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, you're so good at this and you're the best in your row. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Carrie, for mm -hmm. being on and sharing your, um, your heart with us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.